On this week's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Andrew McCaskill, LinkedIn changemaker, founder of Executive Career Jump, whose mission it is to end job search misery. And it is a best-selling author of the Job Search Playbook, a career coach and outplacement expert. Andy, mate, absolutely delighted to have you on. We've been friends for a good number of years now. We've even worked together. We've, we've done loads of collaborations on LinkedIn, some videos. But to have you on my podcast is a real honor. Um, really, really proud to have you on. Um, the man that needs no introduction. But let's let's like I ask all my guests, I want you to go back as far as possible, even to, to your school days, and talk to talk us through your journey because you're doing so well on LinkedIn at the moment. But let's go back in time a little bit, and if you don't mind, kind of walk us through your your kind of journey to date. Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for having me on. Anything purpose-related, I'm absolutely excited about. So it's a real privilege to be here, and thanks for having me. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm Andrew McCaskill. I grew up in Hampshire, sunny Hampshire. I've actually come full circle. We live here now as well. So via right. London and Australia, we've come all the way back round uh, to pretty much where we grew up. So I was born um, in uh, a council estate just outside of Portsmouth. Um, and at age eight or nine, my dad moved us out of there a bit further up the motorway to Southampton, which in a, in, in a, Pol- a Pompey versus Southampton context is, is not yeah, a very yeah. popular move. Like with this, people don't realize the, the size of the rivalry between those two docking towns down here on the South coast. But anyway, so, so moved up there, um, relatively, um, you know, average lower middle-class type upbringing, I guess, was very fortunate to have parents who'd been together since they were 19, who created, a a stable environment and um most of my um school years i wasn't very good at school i don't think mm. um, i was bright but not academic i think they're two different things so like a lot of people and i've had some great conversations on this podcast already um i didn't really apply myself at school at all got in quite a lot of trouble hung around with the wrong people had a lot of fun and focused quite a lot on sport really at that point yeah. rather than rather than academia in any kind of way um and 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 so that was that. That then led me into an initial career in accountancy. And I think the main reason for that was to appease everybody else rather than because it was what I really wanted to do. So like a lot of people, I made my first career decisions based on other people's approval mm. ra- rather than in any way based on what I was good at. Now, I'm very grateful for that experience now, Chris. I know you do a lot of board level work and you know your way around a P&L. Yeah. You know, le- learning about financial statements at that state that early in my life and going through some exams uh, was really good. And I did get a wife out of the experience as well because <laughs> I, I met um, I met Zoe whilst we were there. She had a boyfriend. I had a girlfriend at the time. I didn't stop me trying, but I got nowhere. But in the long term, I managed to uh, win her over. And so I met Zoe during my time working in accountancy for a few years. But hmm. um, the partner of the accountancy firm, someone I'll forever be grateful for, one day pulled me in about three and a half years into my finance journey and said, look, mate, you're a terrible accountant. You're not bought into it. You're really just treading water here but you're pretty good at communicating with clients. You're quite good at selling. You're quite good at influencing. So look, you've got three months. Go and find yourself a job in some kind of sales or commercial function because if not, I'm going to give you the nudge. This end. Right. So he, he, right. And, and I'm really grateful for that intervention because he could have just left me, you know, mm. kind of uh, as, as a bit of an oxygen thief in his business, ticking along, you know, popular, but not delivering anything like what I could have been delivering. And he just spotted that I wasn't in the right slot and give me the opportunity mm. to do something about it before he did um and thank goodness for that so yeah. my best mate my best mate at the time um was uh, in recruitment and had a um a bmw in an apartment in town i thought he was pretty cool 
And so I asked him what uh, recruitment was all about and he, t- he spoke to me about it. And then I started kind of a 15-year recruitment journey, mm. which has yeah, been amazing. I, our industry, you know, gets a lot of rap, right? We, we know that. But yeah. I almost view it as like a real-life MBA. That's how I describe a good career in recruitment because mm. you learn about so many industries. You learn such a wide range of skill set. And even as a consultant, you're pretty much – the CEO of your own desk in many ways. Sure. You've got to, you've got to deal with sales. You've got to deal with delivery. You've got to deal with admin. Sadly, none of us really enjoyed that part. <laughs> you've got to collaborate, but also compete. There's, there's so mm. many great things that came from it. And that, that took me all, all over, all over the world. And I'm very grateful for their time, but equally what also became apparent during my time in recruitment was that it wasn't fulfilling me and that I wasn't a very happy person. So um, particularly during my twenties in London, um, got myself uh, not into a very good place at all. Right. Uh, London at the time, as I'm sure you remember, was, you know, our sales meetings consisted of having a smoke with the guy outside before yeah. we went and had the meeting and then hitting the pub for five pints afterwards. Like that was, yeah. that was the lifestyle we were living. Mm. Um, and I just, yeah, I just, I guess I kind of got lost. Um, I, I found myself, uh, you know, escaping through drinking, gambling, going out all the time, all of that stuff that a lot of us yeah. fell into at that time and yeah. just got myself into some, in some, some pretty bad places. Mm-hmm. Um, one move we did make um, was to escape to Australia, which was a really, really good move. So we did four years out there. Um, again, whilst all this was going on in the background and, you know, I was dealing with a lot of personal challenges, actually my career continued to go up. Yeah. But that wasn't a sustainable strategy. And Ultimately, after 15 years, um, I started doing some career coaching and some job search coaching on the side and just getting far clearer through reading and self-reflection and, mm-hmm. and being more honest and talking more openly around wow. who, I, who I really was and what I really wanted to be doing. And the last two years has really been about then executing on that and, and bring it to life. So mm-hmm. quite a long intro, which I apologize oh, for, but there, there's, la- there's layers to it, isn't there? There always are. There's, there's loads there. And I think that I think you've used the phrase in the past, you know, um, you don't like being too woo woo, but just to touch on the last sort of couple of years that you mentioned there right at the end, was there a particular event or something that happened that's changed your mindset around? Because I, I feel now when you, you say about purpose and finding yourself, I feel that you've got this commercial edge to you, right? But also you're, you're kind of in tune and aware and the whole mental health and wellbeing piece. I mean, that's, that's coming to the fore quite a lot as well. How have you kind of personally evolved from kind of being the businessman to being the, the human being, if you like? Yeah, well, I think things get so tough that the pain of change is less than the pain of carrying on as you are. Got you. And you, and you kind of hit that point. And when you've, when you've, had really really low points you 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 kind of you're going to go one of two ways from there and for me it was like right I've I've got to rebound beyond this I've got to evolve beyond this yeah and also you know the more I did a hell of a lot of reading um hell of a lot of research hell of a lot of networking changed my peer group in in many ways as well which I think Mm. was was Mm. really really helpful and the same kind of intensity that um, drove me to be successful in the career in the first place or dro- drove me to party hard and gamble hard in my 20s. That same intensity yeah. can be channeled into good. Got you. you. You can take that intensity and put it into good in a far healthier way and in a way which mm. impacts positively rather than detracting from your life, can't you? 
you mentioned as well, yeah, you mentioned as well about being bright and the whole academia thing. I, I feel that um, one of the things I like about what you're doing is you're kind of the whole conformity in, uh, of, of school and the education system around, I think we've had discussions, I wish we had things like mental health and money management. And I feel that the system that we both grew up in has really kind of almost held us back. It's almost like we're kind of playing catch up and trying to accelerate. We're sort of, I thought I'm starting my life at 40. Do you understand what I'm trying to say in terms of like, and there's no wonder we, 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 we went to things like gambling and, and alcohol, whatever, to kind of fill that void of kind of fulfillment, right? Yeah, and, and escape. You know, for me, I think a lot of it was about escapism. So I totally agree with you with the education system. Um, I um, obviously met some very, very good mates there and, and, and learned what we mm. learned. But I'd love to see things like relationship management. Wow. Yeah. You know, like when I think totally. about the impact relationships have on your life, and I was completely clueless. Like my, my relationship with women before I met Zoe was not a healthy relationship. I'm serious. Like, and I think how, how many young men are currently educating themselves online about what a male and female relationship looks like? Like wow. it's, it's nuts. Why, why aren't we teaching people about that? That's huge. Money, financial management, compound interest. Like why aren't we teaching what compound interest means? Totally. I, one of the massive regrets I have from my 20s was we were putting in some serious cash at various points mm. and we didn't invest it in things that are serving us now. No. Right? But nobody ever taught me. You, you kind of got this experience first and the lesson afterwards. So I think we could be doing a lot more to help people thrive and to give them the education they need to thrive at an earlier age for sure. Yeah, and kind of on that point, but moving to kind of leadership, you've talked about leadership deficit before, and we've talked about what do you think are the missing elements of, say, a good leader at the moment, leaning towards the stuff we've just touched on? Yeah, um, so when I'm talking about the leadership deficits, my, my hypothesis is that as roles have become far more data and technology-led, mm. we, we've ended up with a different type of leader in the boardrooms. Yeah. Okay? So just to give an example to bring that to life. So imagine a marketing director, okay? 10, 15 years ago, the types of marketing directors you and I might have met as a candidate or a client, for example, um, they would have been highly creative. They would have been people who yeah. would have been high, high green bar or high eye for any of the Thomas International people. Right. Out there. You know, there would have been people who were altruistic, yeah? mm. who had high emotional intelligence, who were in tune with their people and their customers. Right. And that was, that was what served them so well. So they were naturally people orientated. Mm. The, the VP marketing CMO job today has become about data, has become about funnels, has become about tech stacks. Totally. And so nat naturally it's attracted a leadership group who are far more comfortable mm. crunching data than they are working people. And they do the people piece almost as a reluctant, annoyance that comes with their yeah. role rather than something that really really drives them because it's a different personality type yeah i mean it's kind of moved away from kpis yeah i think data is just the the, the, the modern version of, of, of the old school kind of kpi kind of thing isn't it but yeah. i think some of the stuff that you that you've you've i think more recently you've been a bit more open i'm gonna go back a bit now a bit more open about um when you were made redundant um i don't know if you want to kind of share that as well but also i want to delve a bit deeper in terms of actually how it actually affected you maybe psychologically even your mental health because it, it was quite a quite an awful way it happened is that right or yeah well i don't think there's any nice way to happen but in, in essence we got a text message to go to a hotel um completely out of the blue and and that was the end of a five-year journey so uh it was the day before our 2019 kickoff meeting where we had people coming from different uh, locations to join us we were going to do a big kind of at a vision mission 
type presentation ready to galvanize the troops and go for the year ahead. Just to interject, you were the MD of this business, right? Is that right? I was the MD, yeah. Yeah, I was the MD, but a um, a, a small minority shareholding. Um, right. And and so, yeah, that, that, that was the end of that. Um, and the only way I can describe it and how I describe it in my books and in the work that we do in the talks is, um, it is a grieving process, right? Mm. It's a grieving process. So the type you, you get angry, um, you overanalyze what's happened. You start, the inner critic starts to come up and, um, also there's an immense amount of frustration because a lot of us sacrifice a lot for our careers. And it becomes a key part of our ident- identity. Mm. And we sacrifice relationships, we sacrifice time, we sacrifice a lot of different things. Yeah. And then when that rug is pulled from underneath you, you start to question what was it all for? So that without getting you know, too overdramatic, there's an existential crisis element that comes in mm-hmm. because you're like, what, what, you know, what kind of decisions have I made yeah. for this thing that actually was never important in the first place and could be taken away from me like that? So yeah, it was, it was a, a, a hugely uh, a hugely difficult period and like with any grieving period you think you were fine for a while yes and then just out of nowhere a feeling would wash over you that was really uncomfortable and totally you know, what, what made our situation um, particularly difficult was that Zoe uh, my long-suffering wife was also caught up with that program as well because she was right. the oh, uh, wow. financial controller of the group oh, I see so right so 20 minutes after I was called to the hotel, so was she. And we both felt, we'd both worked hard for what we'd created. We both found ourselves. And this, um, this was, that, this the was out of the blue, right? This was, wasn't yeah. expected. No, no wow. pre-warning at all. No, we'd, we'd had, you know, management meetings and board meetings and various things in the ramp up. Oh. And um, yeah, so no, it was completely out of the blue. I mean, as I think you said before, you know, when someone is made redundant, it affects the whole household, but this actually did affect the whole household as well. So, but moving on from that, what, what was your initial reaction response? Because it's off, you're right, it's often not the event, it's, it's the aftermath, isn't it? So how did it, how did it affect you? Kind of, you mentioned about imposter syndrome and confidence. Was there anything you can kind of touch on? Did you feel, um, yeah, how did you feel about it all? Yeah, um, the, the overriding feeling, which is never a useful feeling, was guilt. Mm. Um, right. I, felt, I felt guilt that, we'd got to this point. I felt guilt in terms of the fact that I felt guilt towards myself that I hadn't done something sooner because I knew that I wasn't happy. I also felt guilt that I was partly relieved. And that, that was horrible because I knew so many people were going to be affected at a very personal level, a selfish level. I was relieved. Why They'd kind of, I, I hadn't had the courage to step out and do what I wanted to do. Right, and they 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 they'd enabled me Got to you. move on and do what I wanted to do. Wow. I felt really guilty for the fact that so many people were going to be affected by that, and yet I was feeling the sense of relief at times. And you know, so it's mm. this whole mix, like it's a whole cauldron. Mm. It's not one thing. It's it's a very interconnected web of emotions. And the other thing, I mean, we mentioned drinking and gambling earlier. Um, I looked after myself well during that period, and I'm glad I did because what I've seen is that during moments of stress or major change if you've you know been partial to certain vices or suffered from certain things in the past yeah that really that part of your brain really triggers during these major events right like absolutely absolutely that, that that's how it that's how it felt for me so i was also going through this kind of really strong personal management piece of no that's not you anymore <laughs> like right. don't don't go there i was trying to make sure that i didn't fall off into Go into on, anything on. that was not going to be good for us 
it's almost a blessing in disguise actually but and, and that's why you felt the guilt but it's, it's funny how if that didn't happen where you would be now and in a way it's probably made you what you're what you are now but also i think you've used that experience with exactly what you're doing now that that pain that, that emotional pain you felt you feel that with other people now and i think that's almost it's almost in a, in a paradoxical way it's enabled you to build this amazing business with this i, th- I feel you've got a real value driven mission about your business as well would you say that you've utilized that experience and used it in your business as well now yeah well and i, and I think in exactly the same way as you have i think we um we always grow from these positions and it also authenticates your yes. mission, doesn't it? Mm. Um, because I really do care about what I'm doing. And I felt like I've always been competent and had a certain, certain level of skill. But in the past, I've executed those skills for something that didn't have meaning behind it for yeah. me personally. And yet now I feel like I'm, I've aligned who I am with what I'm doing. So you've mentioned the gambling and um, other addictions before. I mean, I, I've been open myself. I've, I've been a gambling addict in the past and had other addictions. Um, do you want to delve a bit deeper around how you got out of that? Were there any adverse, well, obviously there's always adverse effects, but and also with notwithstanding that, the importance of what we're doing outside of work as well is, is so, I think, so important to what we're doing inside of work. So like your views on those, please. Yeah, no, of course. So um, I mean, for, for me, it was, you know, I think, you know, everybody's relationship with these things is different. But I, I always say, particularly with men and um, a lot of the guys I can hang out with, I almost feel like there's, you know, an addict in every man to some extent that plays out in different ways. Mm. Like my mates all get like, ad- I've got one mate, really good friend who's addicted to golf right now. I don't yeah. know what's wrong with him. It's a stupid <laughs> game. But Long game, isn't it? I know he's waking up watching... Um, watching YouTube golf clips, going right. to the range every night, playing three or four times a week. Right, like we just kind of a lot of guys just kind of have this thing in us, don't we? Which mm. is just super, super intense. So, um, but for me, um, I never, I never um, got got to the point whereby it was a danger to me or, or anything like that. For me, it was more escapism and binging. Right, yeah. so I would be the type that would, um, you know not necessarily gamble every day or anything, but then maybe go out on a Friday and just blow a load of cash on a Friday over a number of hours in a casino. I'll right. stop you there, mate, because um, I can hear you, but you're frozen the screen. Can you, is it all right? You're You've mentioned gambling and other addictions a couple of times, which um, I think as the audience now, and you know, I've, I've been quite open about my own gambling addiction myself and kind of how I dealt with that. And also the importance I feel of what we're doing outside of work, who we hang around with, what we absorb really impacts us in work. So I'd love your views on, on both of those, please. Yeah, no, totally. So just, uh, yeah, I kind of have a theory that most of, particularly my male friends have a, an addict within them in some kind of way right i think it's something that lives in all of us sadly so um you know we we tend to get very intense on things and i think it's always a a constant battle to try and drive that energy into things that are positive rather than things Mm. that work against you but for me gambling was um an escape from what felt like um flat meaningless day-to-day existence um a lack of deep and meaningful relationships, I think contributed to that as well. I felt like mm. a lot of my relationships were at a surface level. And so then you create a relationship with something else, which yes, doesn't serve you very well. No. Um, so for me, it was escapism. So I wouldn't, um, 
you know, every, every, all these things play out differently and pathologically. But for me, it was about, you know, I would go out on a uh, Thursday or Friday and um, end up in a casino to the early hours and wouldn't stop until I'd lost. Yeah. So I, I would have this thing where I was kind of gambling to lose rather than gambling to win. Like there was no win. If I, mm. if, I, if, I, if I won the money, then I'd probably go back the next day and lose it anyway. It's, it's that fit. I know exactly. This really resonates. It's almost like um, you, you go back to that old emotional home of kind of being bereft and hurt. You, that's almost familiar to you. That's all, it's almost a cathartic kind of like enjoyment of that horrible pain in a way. Do you understand what I mean? That's exactly right. And it's, it's about self-concept and self-esteem as well, isn't it? Because you're punishing yourself. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that, that was something that happened for me for a long time. Um, I, uh, as I say, weirdly, the, my career continued to go quite well. Mm. But I was always carrying this thing around with me. And then that led to, you know, kind of a feeling of putting on a lot of different masks or not being yeah. entirely authentic all the time or feeling like a fraud or, you know, you're getting a, a pat on the back. Um, yeah. The the big kind of game changer for me was we, we moved to Australia, which uh, really helped. Um, mm. And I was lucky to get a really exciting job out there and, and things. Um, but that served as a bit of a circuit breaker. But the big thing for me personally was becoming a dad. Right. Okay. So, you know, it's, it, it doesn't have that effect for everybody and I'm, I'm not trying right. to win any father of the year awards or anything, but <laughs> for, me, for, for me personally, the moment of becoming a dad, I kind of said, I kind of yeah. see that as right now there's, there's something bigger and more important than me here. Got you. And I'm a role model, whether I like it or not. Mm. <laughs> and I'm, I'm always going to be flawed, but yeah. I'm not, you know, I, I, I always have this thing. I always imagine that my son was in the room. I always say to myself, imagine your son's in the room. The day I got called to the hotel when I knew something bad was going to happen. So yeah. Have, di- have dignity, have profession, and pretend your son's watching you. Right. So I use my son is almost like my conscience now. It's amazing. You know, it's like your mum's your conscience to your 18 yeah. for, for me. And then I had almost no conscience until I was 30 and became a dad. And then all of a sudden my son became that for me and that's why he's, you know, my children have been such a blessing for me is because I am such a happier, healthier, better person as a result of having them to hold me to account. So on that point then, what, I mean, this is the purpose led leadership podcast and you know how important I think purpose and vision and mission is, how important Mm -hmm. is it to you and how would you wrap up what your, what your why is? Yeah. Well, purpose is, I think is absolutely everything. And in a work context, the more you can align what you're about with what you do, the, all the better. Right? It, it changes every element of your life. And that's what I never understood in the past. And I think because of, you know, conversations around work-life balance and, and things yeah. like that, rather, yeah. r- we've, we've spoken about this before, mate, you know, rather than yeah. work-life blend or work-life integration, which I would prefer, yeah. you know, you kind of feel like work should be something you trade off to then have good times. Mm. So we count down the days to the holidays. We count Definitely. down... You, you, you know, our, our parents' generation counted down the days till they retired. Yeah. Like, it's just a tragic exchange of, I'm going to be miserable over here, but that's okay because it empowers me to do this. It, it doesn't mm. have to be like that. It shouldn't be like that. And so getting more purposeful in, the, in my work has not only helped the work that I'm doing, but it's positively affected everything. Um, yeah. I'm definitely, he- definitely healthier, definitely uh, fitter and in a better place than I've been uh, previously and my relationships yeah. are 100% better 100% better as well so 
yeah, that's my view on the importance of purpose, which is why I love what you're doing with the podcast. Thank you, mate. And uh, it really resonates with me. A lot, everything that you say res- resonates with me on, on a good level. But you talked about, you mentioned the word relationships three or four times and how kind of, let's say, chaotic they might have been, if I can use that word, prior to you meeting Zoe. What, what's, um, what changed in that regard? Because and how, how much impact do you feel that your wife has had on you as a person, a man, and your business and, and your life as well? Yeah, but she's had a huge uh, impact on me. Um, and we've grown together uh, and, um, we've had our, you know, huge ups and downs like every, everybody else we've been together for 16, 17 years. So right. you're going to, you're going to, you're going to have some peaks and troughs, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but ultimately, um, I think the main role she's been is to be my friend, uh, at, at the absolute heart of it. Mm. And pro- probably the first, well, no, definitely the first person that I've spoken openly with. Not always, but I've been more open with her than I have with anyone in my life. Lied to my parents my whole life. Mm. BSed everybody around me. Told clients what they needed to hear in order to buy from me. Right, like I've I've existed in that zone for up for for a very long time. Yes, and yet and yet Zoe uh, has given me that channel to actually, you know, open up and and step into who you are, and 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 that's that's an incredible gift, right, for for her to have played that role. Amazing. And do you feel you've also um, done that with colleagues, people on LinkedIn, other people as well? It's not limited just to just her, is it? Definitely not now. Definitely not now. Um, I feel like, uh, well, I think on LinkedIn in particular, um, and I'm excited to be a part of the Changemaker campaign at the moment, which we were talking about. Yeah. Um, but I think in particular, what's great to see on LinkedIn, it's, it's very much the place whereby you can show up as yourselves. It's very much the place whereby... Mm. You know, the new world of work is being discussed and defined. And yeah. I think it's very, very progressive. So, yeah, I made some incredible uh, connections via the online world, as I know you have as well. And, mm. yeah, I'm a big fan of the platform and the power of an authentic personal brand and what that attracts. It's funny because my my own personal experience of LinkedIn, up until, I'd say, 18 months ago, I thought it was basically a glorified job board. And, you know, you've seen me on, on, on I've got my own podcast on here, for God's sake. And um, what would you say to the people around who've got that skepticism or they, or they don't believe in the personal brand journey and all that? I know you've got your own story, which says it all, but how, how, would, you, how would you almost coach someone to kind of flourish in this LinkedIn minefield? Yeah, I think, first of all, it's about reframing it, because I think one of the big blockers I see with people when I'm helping them start to use the platform is they view it like any other social media and like, I have yeah. to be honest I'm not a massive fan of the other channels right mm. like, I'm not a massive social media guy um I will, I've never been a huge fan of Facebook um yes. I understand twi- Twitter can be an absolute circus when I'm yeah. sometimes <laughs> well, <I agree>. <laughs> yeah it, it, inst- Instagram's not bad but equally you know there's you know a lot of data to say that you know things like it, it's 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 causing some suffering with people's body images or you know it's, mm. it's, a, it's a curated feed rather than being reality and so there's mental yeah. health considerations when we're we're looking at that so I totally get why people go uh this is social media I don't do social media because of these moral and personal preferences yeah yeah but LinkedIn's different LinkedIn is different LinkedIn is a ecosystem it's an online ecosystem of business professionals opening up collaborating yeah. and generating discussion progress and opportunity yeah in real time and people are generally we all get the occasional trial it's just life but people are generally um mm. more respectful um more open 
and more engaged on LinkedIn in a way that they're simply not on the other platforms because yeah. it's in the public forum, it's attached to their employer, their identity is verified in a in a more stringent way than it is in the other mm. platforms. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, the reach on there, the way it keeps evolving and the conversations on there are tremendous and everyone should be in there. And I agree with that. And the ability to kind of serve others with a purpose as well. And on that point, I think we, we both do similar things. Um, I personally love the platform, but there are times where you do expand or expend a lot of energy around when you're coaching, when you're advising, you've got a duty of care all the time. We've talked about, it's not work-life balance anymore, but work integration and work harmony and life harmony, which we should not be an advocate of. How, how do you navigate around? You've got kids, you've got your wife, you've got your business, you've got your bloody you've got your own podcast as well you've got change maker i mean it's not easy right and i, th- I think people underestimate uh what what you and i do if i if i may say so what, what would you say to that yeah well it's it's a it, it's it's all encompassing right so social media um working via linkedin and you know 90 percent of our business comes inbound via linkedin into executive career jump so sure it, it, it is and you're always on, aren't you? That's the thing. And you want to reply exactly. to everyone and you want to engage with everybody. So, yeah, I mean, I've um, started not sleeping with my phone by the side of my bed, for example, because I I've, I've, <laughs> I, found the first thing I was doing when I woke up was check it. And also that my sleep was suffering because I always had half an ear out for a ping or, or something. Totally. Again, again, it's mm-hmm. another escapism if you're not careful. You've got, to yeah. address, you've got to address your relationship with these things on an ongoing basis. Mm. Um, and just putting in some boundaries. Um, so this summer has been amazing because yeah, yeah. We've, we've, we've basically worked as kind of almost like digital nomads in the, for the six week holidays, we've been in five different locations right? and we've stayed in Airbnbs in these five different locations. And every day I've got up early and then worked until 2 PM every afternoon during the summer holidays, we've gone out exploring wherever we've been, gone for dinner and, and we've had that quality time together as well. So putting in that boundary yeah and varying the location and everything Got you. Uh, has been fantastic during the summer. And if it wasn't for schools and stuff, I would, I would live that way all the time. It's been yeah. just such a really enjoyable period. Isn't it different? I mean, five years ago, you, I wouldn't be seen dead not in a suit. I used to love wearing a suit. Now I never, never wear a suit. And a whole work from home thing, I was like, it was almost a swear word to me. Now it's, now I love it. It's kind of, isn't it funny how even we change as well over, over time? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was uh, eight, eight till eight. You know, yeah. when I was in town, I was I was eight till eight and suited and booted and yeah, yeah the most expensive cufflinks I could muster. <laughs> you know, that was that was the yeah, game, yeah. wasn't it? Not that was the game. So no, it's it's really, really interesting. And and I think the pandemic served as a really interesting circuit breaker to allow people to really work out what's important to them or not. It's been a very interesting time. Mm. Touching on the, the, we're going to close fairly soon. This has been such an inspiring chat and I've le- always learned stuff from you, mate. So it's really good. Thank you. In terms of mental health and, 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 and well-being, and everyone's got their own ways in, of doing things right. And I think, I think that I'm careful not to give out too much advice because I always believe if the person's got to do what they need to do and not my, my, what's right for me might not be right for them. But in terms of therapy, counselling, talking, being open... Have you personally done that? And what's your general thoughts? I think there's two schools of thought. I feel that a lot of the problems in this world are kind of root causes out, out, out of emotion and not, not challenging yourself, not talking things through. I feel that sometimes it's good to go back, get it all out, and then you can go forward. But other people think, no, stop, stop going back to your trauma and just move on. 
you know, it's all about mindset, all that kind of stuff. What, what's your view around, particularly in men, around kind of like manning up and just driving on through? Because you've got to have that commercialism drive, but also actually checking in with yourself and going, actually, I keep repeating the same patterns. Do I need to go backwards? What's your general view on all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, so, as you say, I, I'm, I'm empathetic to everybody's journey, and I think you've got to be careful not to be glib or generalise too much when discussing these topics. Um, but for me personally, yes, I have um, spoken to people in the past and mm. I found it useful to an extent. I think um, a lot of the time our behavior is driven by things that we're not talking about. And so talking about them is good. It's cathartic. Um, writing things down is good and cathartic as well. When I was going through that redundancy, mm. I, wrote how, I wrote a lot of things down. Yeah. I'd, and um, I've never journaled or anything like that in the past. And um, I don't know if I would in the future, but certainly during that period, I found myself writing a lot. And okay. that actually ended up becoming the first chapter. What I wrote became the first chapter in the Job Search Playbook, which I published last year, earlier on this year, right? So wow. it's funny how that then came round to two years later. I went back to that script and used that as the opening chapter. Amazing. And that's, and interestingly, that is the chapter everyone who's read the book comes back to me about because it go. is so raw and real rather than just advice on how to get hired. Mm. Anyway. I so, don't know that. so, That's good. I didn't know that part of the book, actually. I mean, so I haven't got the book. I will definitely, I'll definitely get yeah, it. Yeah, I'll, I'll spend you a copy. Don't worry. Um, so, so, that's, uh, so, that's, so that's my thought. I think it's cathartic to get things out and down and, and out. But I also, um, I also believe in an internal locus of control. And while speaking to those people definitely helped, mm. um, the change had to come from me and the change did come from me. And, sure. um, and I think, you know, we've all got, um, you know, life's a struggle as it is. And we've all got a million things that we could anchor and blame to do nothing. And totally. at some point we've got to find that internal fortitude and that resilience to put ourselves mm -hmm. forward. And I do think there's a point where you have to stop looking in the rearview mirror, start looking through the windscreen and plow ahead. Once you've given yourself time to process yeah. what's happened and you've been kind and you've looked after yourself, I think yeah. then there is a point where you've got to go. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, beautifully put as well. Um, in terms of your, you've got your book, which is an Amazon bestseller. Is that right? It, it, well, I don't like to talk about it, Chris, but yeah, it, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah just turned out that way. Yeah. Just thought I'd slip that in there for you, mate. Um, Thank you, buddy. And also, I think you're up to is it 80, 90,000 followers, but also talk to us about this change maker thing. And also, where do you want to take your career and your business and, and, your, and your vision? Because you've got some, you've got some, a lot of fires burning, I feel. Is that right? Yeah, I've got a lot of fires. Well, the, the strange thing is, once you, you know, build a personal brand and align who you are of what you do, you attract a whole range of different opportunities, some of which yeah. that were planned, right? So I set out to plan to help uh, people get hired. That was my business plan, and that was what we were doing. Mm. We've ended up in all sorts of things. We're talking at property companies about personal branding one minute. We're talking wow. at, um, about talent on stage next minute. We're helping um a couple of uh, well we've got 20 startups that have spawned out of what we're doing over the last 12 months some of which have gone on to do amazing things and leave mm. executive career jump for dead as you know well and it's like th yeah. there's all this amazing stuff coming out but my vision in terms of where we want to go is ultimately i want to create an ecosystem that works to end career-based misery right yeah i feel like the fact that we are generally quite unhappy in what we're doing that people aren't aligning themselves with um, what they're doing or aligning their career with their values is a failure of modern society that we need to address. And that's kind of my North Star. So oh, yeah. where I see the business going is that people will hit 
you know, our channels and our website and whether they're looking to get hired, looking to start their own business or looking to make a pivot or get more clarity, we'll mm. have programs, membership, subscriptions and one-on-one services that will deliver to that, to that need. So exciting. Um, so the whole career mis- misery piece, what, what are your three biggest frustrations in that whole equation, both from the employee and employer perspective? Yeah, my biggest uh, frustrations from the employee pro- perspective, let's start there, um, is number one is that we've managed to con- like constrain ourselves in a self-imposed prison. So we think we have to keep sticking doing what we're doing. And we've convinced ourselves that yeah. certain misery is some somehow preferable to a bit of temporary change got you yeah which is incredible we'll take certain misery over stepping out of the comfort mm. zone mm. to maintain a lifestyle which by the way is non-existent because if you're showing up miserable at work you're showing up miserable at home so you have no lifestyle no matter what you think yeah sort of facade exactly so so that's my that's my number one frustration um of employees is you know over and above anything else giving ourselves permission to make sure we're not just ex- accepting job misery in exchange for job security. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's the number one thing. And just getting a bit braver around the career decisions. Now, I have to caveat by saying I'm a hypocrite because it took for me to get <laughs> fired to, to finally do all yeah, of this. Yeah. But hey, everyone has their journey. At least I can now you know, pay it forward and You're owning, help it. Other owning it now. So that's the main yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, and helping other people find that courage. So I think that's number one. Um, and I think uh, in terms of the employers, I think fundamentally what employers are getting wrong is they view employees as an expense in the P&L rather than an asset in the balance sheet. And they view them as a cost mm. rather than as an investment. And I think we need to completely reframe how people are viewed within organizations, how they're treated, how it's approached, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and move it from a P&L item to, to, yeah. to a balance sheet item as an asset. The onerous task of hiring someone that's going to make my business better. I mean, what, what sort of mindset is that? You know, <laughs> well, m- most of them feel like that, mate. It's like, yeah. Oh, I've got, to, uh, yeah, I've got, I've got, to, oh, I've got to do appraisals this week. Yeah, it's, this is how everyone feels. Yeah. So there's this, yeah, yeah. there's this, there's this, there's this paradigm of people being a pain in your backside, yeah. and and a cost. So I think I think there's a major change required, and mm. yeah, I'm, I'm I'm excited at the current pace. It feels like evolution rather than uh, revolution, sorry, rather than evolution at the moment. It feels like it's really speeding yeah. up, which, which is great to watch. Brilliant. So kind of in, in closing then, um, any tips, uh, advice around building a career, come, overcoming adversity, and also what do you think the future is going to be in terms of, we've, we've had a lot of change, we work from home, every, everyone's now going back in the office. What's the dynamic looking like for the future as well? Yeah, so I think the future will be um, the... Uh, everybody will receive a more tailored work experience. So when we look at the past, um, what people were looking at was people processing systems, making things scalable via replicating a model that worked. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that was what we all did. And, and, and that worked absolutely fine. I think we're in a different phase now whereby companies need to provide an ecosystem whereby employees tap into that ecosystem mm. in order to be as productive as possible. And so f- for some that may be remote, for some that may be hybrid, for some that may be in the office all the time. Yes. Um, for some that may be 50 hours a week at various points because they're in ramp up mode. Yeah. For others, they may be new parents and they need to dial down a little bit. Yeah. For others, they may deal with you, but as part of a fractional career where they're also dealing with a few other companies and doubling down on their strengths across a portfolio. Mm. I just think it's going to get far more flexible, far more pragmatic and far yeah. more tailored to the individual rather than the battery hen farm command and control type model. 
Thank God for that. That's so exciting, isn't it? I mean, where, where, could, where that could go, I mean, I think what you'll see is you'll feel, you'll get a lot of people getting that fulfillment, getting that purpose. And I think, I think we're replacing the old language of kind of money and status and title with the purpose and fulfillment. And, uh, you know, saying this three or four years ago, I probably would have got shot down, right? Oh, wouldn't we just? Yeah. But uh, the irony is, I think a lot of people will make more wealth in the process anyway, yes. because yes. the energy that they'll bring to they'll do it to what they're doing will. One of the byproducts, I think, will people will be able to increase their lifestyle whilst also staying true to their values, and that's. I don't think they're mutually exclusive at all. In closing, anything you'd like to add at all? And also, it's an obvious question. I mean, but you're also on YouTube, right? But where where can most people find you? LinkedIn, YouTube. You're on lo- lots of places now, aren't you? I'm not surprised. Yeah, LinkedIn's the primary channel, um, as you say. So if you're not following me on LinkedIn, I'd love to hear from you. Um, I'm really trying to build the YouTube uh, channel up, uh, but it's difficult when you, you know, building a channel up from scratch again. It's taken some time, but so please do check out what we're doing on YouTube there. There's some really good videos. And uh, yeah, just thanks again for the opportunity. It's been great to reconnect and, and have an authentic purpose-led conversation. It's refreshing. Cheers. Right. Every time. Love having you on. And yeah, looking forward to continuing doing those stuff together in the future. Thanks a lot, mate. Thank you. Cheers. The Purpose Led Leadership Podcast is sponsored by Vincherry, the recruitment operating system used by 20,000 recruiters worldwide. I chose to partner with Vincherry because I'm a customer, a single tech platform to streamline the front, middle, and back office operations of executive search, perm, contract, and temp businesses. If you're looking for a new breed of tech partner, talk to Vincherry. They have follow the sun support with seven offices around the world. Check them out at vincherry.io forward slash Chris O'Connell for an exclusive offer for all listeners. Thank you.